Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and you know my favorite Nick Fury. It's passive-aggressive Nick Fury. (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 90, which begins with an unconscious Clint being dragged away and ends with Fury starting to come clean about Phase 2. Joining us on the show today, we have a new guest. It's Lachlan Teal from the Quiet On Set podcast. Hello, Lachlan. Hello, my friends. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. I'm very excited. So great to have you here. We are thrilled to talk with you about uh, about this. And, uh, you know, the first question in in picking these particular minutes, we're talking um, today, tomorrow, and then we've got another episode next week, and then we'll have some more down the road. But it, what particular reason did, drew you to kind of picking these minutes? Uh, it's the, it's the low point, right? That's the most exciting, uh, part of this entire minute is that it's the massive couple minutes beforehand, big fights. They're all fighting each other, but also Loki and his goons. And now it's, oh no, it's sadness in the air. Thanks to those lovely strings that are playing throughout the entire background the entire time, right? Just that little... Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know, you should feel sad now. You right. can hear yeah, exactly, the right? Yeah. <laughs> and if it wasn't for uh, Nick Fury being so sad, you wouldn't be able to tell it was a sad scene, right? <laughs> but um, this is this is the moment that they're no longer the, you know, uh, meat bags of Iron Man and Thor, but this is the part where they have a reason to avenge with uh, Phil Coulson's just recent passing. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it's like they uh, it, it's an interesting way to kind of construct the script and to kind of build this story in this idea that, you know, okay, they're trying to come together. Fury has this idea as he'll kind of talk about more in tomorrow's minute, but he has this idea about bringing people together to help fight the fights that we can't do ourselves. But it really kind of uh as we've seen they really have a, a hard time coming together. They all fight. They don't know how to have conversations and talk with each other. And the the script is really constructed in a way where Phil Coulson is kind of everybody's friend, and we love him, and we know that the director has a penchant for doing this with, with beloved characters to kind of heighten the stakes. And this becomes that moment. And to your point, this is the, this gives them a reason to avenge now. And uh, I mean, you know, in the way that they put it, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing them together to fight for uh, a reason and a purpose and everything, but really it's, it's to avenge. And uh, yeah, that's, that's an interesting perspective for, kind of the the construction of a team and and finding its cohesion through that i suppose it's cohesion through phil's blood okay, <laughs> exactly <laughs> i guess i guess he never got you to sign these right like oh yeah those are the strings those are the strings that are playing for sadness the sadness strings i it, it's interesting to look at this as part of the formula of of Marvel movies, right? That, that, I mean, it's not, not just Marvel movies, but it seems to be kind of cementing here that we have this, like, we have hero, hero, hero movement, and then the moment of quiet before the storm. And here it's 
it it's really that sort of inward bit of self-loathing that we have to watch the heroes go through and it's it's a, an exercise of humanity through shame uh that you know shame that we weren't able to do more shame that we weren't standing there able to protect this guy who needed protection when he needed protection the most um shame that we weren't able to stop loki many of the many of the times that we had an opportunity to stop loki um you know shame that we didn't have the technology and the tools i i think that's all very interesting and to the extent that this provides a motivating element for the characters i guess is the extent that it provides a motivating sort of emotional launch pad for us as the audience to to buy into the fact that these guys are it's time to avenge right it's time for the assemble moment and I, to me, it works, but I'm I'm more bullish, I think, on this movie than you, Andy. Like, is this? It, do you feel manipulated positively? Uh, well, I mean, it, it's it certainly feels um, feels written to kind of uh, take this path, but I, you know, it feels very much just kind of the nature of scripts. And if you're enjoying the characters, uh, I think that you can buy into the emotional beats. And I, for me, I mean, you know, I, I certainly have my issues with this film, but this is definitely an emotional beat that I connect with because, I mean, you know, I've enjoyed Phil Coulson since Iron Man. I, I think he's a great yeah. character. And and I think that it's it's earned. They earned this this moment here. I mean, Lachlan, you know, what's your perspective on Phil as he's kind of grown and changed over the course of the, the, the previous films leading up to this? Well, he's obviously not in any kind of major moment. He's this little side character that comes out and he's always lovable and enjoyable. And just to see him go and just everyone just love him, as you guys said, it's like that's the the tugging of the heartstrings there. It's uh, it's sad to see him go. Well, sort of go because then they had the whole spinoff and uh, Agents of Shield, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah, kind of. He kind of because, dies because they learn just how dies. lovable he is, right? Like that they bring him all back. Yeah, they yeah. can't let go of Coulson. He has to go to yeah. Tahiti and come back as a as a Frankenstein's Coulson. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Coulson's death allowed them to put their egos aside. So at least uh, at least his death wasn't for nothing, right? It's it is funny. It's like the TV show really ends up feeling so much more for audiences more than the story purposes because i mean even the the franchise in the scope of like what is canon and what isn't that show while it recognizes the films the films never recognize it like you never hear, hear phil colson's alive he's you know all of this like it <laughs> never so comes one-sided. up again it's totally yeah. this one-sided relationship and it's purely it just really makes it purely for the fans which you know i mean i, I suppose has its um, upside, but at the same time, in in the story purposes, what it does to this moment is it really does kind of deflate the emotional beat that we have with the losing of a character. Yeah, but we we do get those sweet Dutch angles, though, or at least that one that screamingly <laughs> loud Dutch angle uh, to fit both Iron Man and Cap on the screen at the same time, backlit heroically. Uh, so that's something. They kept just adding a degree until yeah. they could get Cap into the shot. <laughs> right. They're like, just keep going, guys. Just we'll get him into the shot at some point. <laughs> it was 90 degrees at the first take, and then they just kept bringing it back. I do I do find this, uh, it, to me, it's, it's frustrating, and I notice it every time I watch it. We start on, like, in the first second of this minute, we're still, uh, we've got Clint 
<laughs> on the floor, right? <laughs> We've got Scarlett Johansson. They're in the same shot. Uh, and then we cut to Downey and, and Evans, right? And then we reveal from behind the the post, now we're in the conference room and it's Downey and Evans again. And I sort of miss the fact that we're cutting time here because we've got an emotional montage and we've introduced now four of the Avengers, but, and, and obviously the other Avengers aren't here, right? We know that Bruce is still somewhere else um, on a tiny bicycle somewhere. Um, but I, I do, it, it is weird to me that we cut from Evans and Downey to Evans and Downey out of their outfits, out of their uniforms. It's always struck me as a little bit sideways. I suppose that that's part of the reason that we're coming in on that um, strut is yeah is intended of time yeah is intended to kind of give us that passage of time as we kind of uh, are making this uh, shift and the music also is helping it's kind of this this heavy moment and you know it does feel I mean it's we're coming in very much on the end of the last scene as Fury you know as Coulson just you know, dies there in his arms. And uh, he says the medical team's here, they called it. And so it definitely feels like the the kind of the heavy end of that scene. So I mean, I, I definitely understand your point. It is a strange place to cut from and into. But it, I suppose that was just their thinking is like, let's come in on that so that it kind of breaks the audience's uh, sense of uh, continuity. And it puts us into a new place. Yeah. I think that if you are doing a montage that's really sad, but then you're cutting to batter on a bicycle, it is going to ruin the emotional weight of that montage <laughs> oh, look. To, into, into a comedic bit. Right. <laughs> Banner on a clown bike. Yeah, or it but... could be still in a free fall for all we know, and then you yeah. just... Right, yeah. right, right. So the... Uh, well, one thing, actually, before we before we jump into that scene, though, I do just want to comment on the lighting of that that scene that you were just bringing up, Pete, the, the Dutch angle in the kind of that engine or the space around engine three where um where steve and tony are like the lighting the backlight with the sun kind of coming through all the 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 holes in the ship's hull i mean it's it's just beautifully lit and so that's something i i do appreciate about yes uh, and and the fact that it's not like we forget or don't forget that they're still standing in an open gaping maw in the side of the helicarrier. That's not necessarily smoke. That's like cloud that's (laughs) passing them. And I think that's very cool. Yeah. Right. Right. So, all right. Well, so we're in the conference room. My, my first question, and this might tie into kind of like your, uh, you know, how awkward it feels for you to cut from um, Steve and Tony, to uh Steven Tony. So, to Stephen Tony. My question though is like, okay, we we just had Natasha also. And then when we come into this conference room, there is no Natasha. And I, you know, my thinking has always been, why is this just a meeting among men at this particular yeah. point? Why is it just Fury talking to uh Tony and Steve about Phil? And you know, is she not here? Or is it just because I get it, she wants to be with Clint, perhaps, but I don't know. Does has it struck either of you that um, Natasha isn't in this particular situation? Well, don't forget, Andy. Maria Hill's also present, but she never gets to sit down. <laughs> well, <laughs> always standing in the back, further back, further back, yeah, further back, further back away from the right. conference room. <laughs> right. 
I, uh, it does strike, I mean, I, Lachlan, I'm, I'm eager to hear your, your perspective, but it does strike me as weird that she's not present because I, I don't understand why everybody's sad. Like it feels like she should be there. Yeah. She, I feel like the idea behind it is that she's with her friend. She's with Clint, who's now recovering. So she's, she's not caring about the team. She cares about one of her best mates, who's clearly not in the best of shapes right now. And if they're going to include her, then they've got to include sort of a, a, a tied down Hawkeye so that he can also be part of this uh, conversation as well. And I just, again, I feel like that wouldn't have worked with uh, the whole <laughs> setup of. They just need Hawkeye on the table. So. <laughs> Strap down. <laughs> it's uh, it would have it would have uh, made it, but I feel like again, it's uh, I love this desk that they're they're at. I love this like because it's sort of like a play on any of the traditional superhero desks where they kind of go in a V formation instead of a a, you know, a more practical rectangular shape uh because obviously when they were designing this uh in in the world of the movie i can definitely see nick fury going i'm standing here i'm standing here i need them all to face me in a sort of uh angled fashion so it's a it's a very uh strategic move that he stands right at the end there and all six of them would have to sit in those chairs facing him as the leader so he's definitely having a bit of a power play by standing at the end here and again pushing maria hill into the other room so that she can't be part of this conversation <laughs> is it weird at all so i the, about the desk first of all it's also cool that from this angle it's the first time i've actually noticed that it's also kind of an a right like it's it's a play on what you might otherwise get in an animated show where they just have up on oh avengers need to be sitting at a big a table um but the other thing that is so strange about this is they've actually inlaid it looks like the shield logo into the floor here and i've never noticed how weird that eagle head looks right at at fury's feet that he's kind of standing on what is the what is the purpose of this like why why when designing the ship would they end up putting the giant logo on the floor? I, I don't think we've ever talked about that. No, we haven't. But I think part of the the design, and it is weird, and and I don't think I, I think I'm just kind of piecing it together now because we've talked a little bit about the um, the angles of all the desks below. Yes, and those are kind of the wings yep. of this of this eagle shape, and and yeah, it's kind of the head of it coming up. Right at the point where uh, Fury would stand at his little consoles, there where, uh, where of course, um, Maria Hill is currently standing. Maria Hill is always right wing. She's always right wing. <laughs> so it is. It is an interesting uh, decision to kind of put it this way. And uh, plus, I mean, again jokingly we always uh talked about how hydra was so good at branding and and moments like this it's like this is where the hydra the hydra team has really kind of infused their thinking and saying we need more branding like let's put it everywhere because it feels because right behind this conference table on the wall is a big shield logo yep and so it's like they they seem to find ways to just kind of start putting it in everywhere and i I love that this entire room has logos and itself is a big logo yes it's a metal logo. Yeah. It's the worst layout for desks ever. It's uh, impractical. <laughs> but, but they were going for It's like, we need to make it like a bird. Let's make it like a bird. They're like, why can't we just have it straight, guys? Come on. It's like, no, no. Fury says bird desks. Let's go. I mean, even if nobody can see each other, shut up. We don't care yeah, if anybody yeah, can see each other. <laughs> 
We're shield. Don't you forget it. I can't forget. We know you can't forget it. Oh, <laughs> so funny. It's just too funny. Uh, I've just noticed as well, sorry, that uh, in one of the shots where just before, again, moving along in the scene, Fury goes to throw the cards around. Maria's just a tiny little figure in the background. So she's present, but she's just not present. She never gets to sit. (laughs) There's no point of having her in the background of this shot to just don't include her at all or do include her within the the major group. But I guess she was never a massive player. It would have been better to have Natasha in the background, at least there than Maria Hill at all. It's, I mean, this is definitely an interesting element with the Maria Hill character that has been um, largely cut from the film. Uh, We've talked quite a bit, Lachlan, about some of the uh, the deleted scenes over the course of the film. And there was a whole through line starting at the very beginning of the film. It, the film was originally going to open with Maria Hill uh, being interrogated by the, or questioned probably is more appropriate by the world security council about everything that had gone on. And uh, with it all took place after the fact, after the battle of New York. Right. And she was talking about how fury was making all these rash decisions and she didn't agree with him and it was all his fault. But over the course of her conversation with the world security council, she kind of comes to understand what he was doing and comes to agree with him. But that really shaped all of the kind of looks and everything that we have of her, uh, as fury is making decisions over the course of the film. And it really seems like, she doesn't agree with him a lot of the time. And so it's interesting when we have her standing behind here. I mean, my thinking is it's largely because when Fury pulls the cards out and said these were in his pocket and tosses the, the bloody cards on the table, we get a cut to her as she kind of her raises her eyes and looks at Fury because she knows that's not true, as we'll find out a few minutes from now. Mm. And so it's it's interesting that they're setting these moments up with her that are designed in a way where we where there's this built-in antagonism between these characters. And so it's interesting the remnants that we as the audience have of this film with this character who's largely kind of standing around and in the background and stuff, but doesn't the antagonism isn't built in for us because those are uh those scenes are all deleted. But it leaves an interesting hole with that character. And so I guess we're just meant to read what we get, you know, with what it is. And so I, I don't know. I mean, how have you like when you watched this film, do you what was your sense of Maria Hill as a character? Omnipresent, just always there, never doing much, but just always there watching and taking notes. Uh, it just seemed like it was Fury's assistant with a gun, uh, because if that deleted scene was uh, in the film and it started off with her discussing what had happened, it would have totally played into this character and it would have given me a reason why she's in these scenes, um, or at least in these particular minutes, because this one is this one does stand out because there is a, a whole cut to her standing there and then cutting back and then it's continuing on with the scene like we know she's there but then nothing comes out of it until a little bit later where she approaches fury on the whole card situation which are so still bloodly fresh that they leave a splatter on the table when it's thrown (laughs) yeah where, where where did he get that is it is it actual blood is it from phil I don't even want to know. It's just, it's so disgusting when I think about what... <laughs> I think it might just been a quick dip in. Yes. Yeah. Fury actually has a blood boy. And uh, <laughs> so he just went to the blood boy bank. 
Uh, so he, gross. I mean, Fury is the sort of guy who's like, well, he's already dead. You yeah. know, just dip, dip, dip. <laughs> <laughs> he's not going to bother. It's not going to bother him. Yeesh. Uh, well, okay. So, um, you know, back to Natasha. One other thing that I thought was um, a potential reason for the fact that she's not at the table at this particular moment and the reason that we're having this conversation specifically between Fury, Tony, and Steve is because she's kind of already on the team. Like, you know, she's kind of already been billed as this person who works directly with Fury ever since Iron Man 2, somebody who's on board and buys into everything that they're doing. This conversation specifically feels like it's Fury's last chance to really sell it to these two people who we've been noticing are feeling a little um, uncomfortable and, and sketchy about the way that that Fury is handling some of the things. And while it might make sense for Natasha to be there and kind of like be kind of his uh, one other person who buys in and kind of helping him with his pitch, I guess the way that I end up seeing that it plays is it really becomes this personal conversation that he's trying to approach these two specifically uh to kind of get them to buy in one last time does it feel like that's perhaps the reason that they ended up scripting it this way yeah yeah definitely compared to i mean you would also have to have banner and thor on it because they're also very against it but these two seem to dislike each other quite a bit obviously before the the big battle they've just gone through there's a whole scene where they're telling each other to suit up and see how they are you know it's the complete opposite of what mums want in the cinema they want them to suit up even more they want them to suit down in the cinema the mums do so it's a bit (laughs) of a bit of a situation where these guys egos again it goes back to their whole egos of breaking it down it's a strategic play by fury to get the them to back down put their egos aside you know iron man you're not captain america you're part of the avengers now i've already got black widow on board and we had hulk and thor but they've fallen out of the uh the airship right now but we'll get we'll get back to them we'll do our own separate board discussion with those two once they're back right yeah it gives us a chance i think too many bodies in the around the conference table makes it feel uh less solemn right and Mm. to your point uh, these two guys need to be on the same page strategically again for the next act of the movie, right? Like they, they have, we have to believe that they're on the same page and have something to, to, uh, uh, you know, fight for together, maybe more so than, th- than the rest who feel like already on board. I, I think the one that, that, that still that I, I can't rationalize, I can rationalize Maria Hill being back in the back. I just still struggle with not having Scarlett Johansson at that table that that's the thing that that feels empty to me that she feels like she needs to be bought in too even as these two guys are wrestling with their egos this is it it, it is a miss to me not to have her there yeah it's i mean it is uh, a strange uh element that that she isn't here but you know i mean it is what it is as far as fury's line of thinking i do think there is this element, and I wonder if this whole card angle came to him because of Phil's last words to him, where he says, it's okay, boss, this was never going to work if they didn't have something to, uh, and then yeah. it's kind of that Monty Python, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's like that little moment. But yeah, that's the last thing that he says, and it does make me 
I don't know. I just think it's curious. Like, is Fury thinking about that when he's just like, yeah, they do need something to believe in. And that's what I'm going to give him. I'm going to go to Phil's locker, get the cards, go <laughs> deal his go stuff, dip him in his back where <laughs> there's the gaping <laughs> hole from the scepter and, and, and call a meeting. Like <laughs> so gross, but it does make Phil Coulson the smartest guy in the MCU. Like he's the yeah. one who gave Fury the idea. Then everything's like Phil Coulson is the singularity. And again, it would have been, I think, more meaningful if he, then he didn't end up running seven seasons of a show. But you, know. <laughs> you can you can be an yeah. antagonist, a small screen antagonist, <laughs> if you want. But us fans will stick together. There you go. There you go. It seems very directed at Cap, though. That's the only thing, right? The cards aren't directed at Tony yeah. at all, right? It's, it's a bloody card of Captain America. And that's the one that he lands on. He double dips. And I, I, I'm thinking <laughs> that all of the cards are Captain America, so that no matter which one he picks up, it's definitely <laughs> going to be his face, right? So he's gone through all of Coulson's cards and picked out all the Captain America ones and just used those. But, yeah, um, yeah sure. I just feel like it, it, this one particular moment is, is clearly directed at Cap. Because I don't know why, because I feel like he's the one who could be on board the most, since in this one he still believes in the whole, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the S.H.I.E.L.D. is good, S.H.I.E.L.D. is not bad, which we obviously get to later on, and that breaks down his character. But at this moment, it feels like Fury is directing this at Cap, and Tony obviously later on sort of just walks away and has his own moment of recollection and going, yes, this is the, the team that we need. Well, in theory, that, you know, because Fury believes that Captain America is the leader of the team, right? Like, mm. he's the one who he needs, he needs Cap to stand up. Yeah. Because Cap is the bona fide military, like, hero. I mean, we, we know he was only really in the military for a couple of weeks, but he, he's still, uh, he's the one who wears the stars and stripes and, and bears the weight of the shield and needs to be the one that everybody follows. Tony has never been the, the leader of, the leader of men, right? He's the Liberty gibbet. He's, he's the one who, who, who does whatever he wants when he wants to do it. And so I, I think there's a real, I think that's a legitimate case for, for playing those particular strings uh, on cap. Well, it's definitely. And I mean, the cards definitely tie into, to Steve as kind of Fury's uh, direct plea to him, essentially. And uh, the way that we get that fantastic shot through the bottom of the conference table looking at steve who's out of focus we see the the in focus bloody captain america card laying on the table and then he reaches down picks it up and it rack focuses to him as he looks at it like it's a fantastically constructed shot to really show us that moment right but then and this is where i i don't know exactly the the angle that the filmmakers are going with but as as Fury continues talking through all of this, you know, he says, we're dead in the air up here, our communications, location of the cube, Banner Thor, I got nothing for you. And then he says, lost my one good eye. And we're, by this point, we cut <laughs> we cut to Tony. And as he says this, um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. reacts to his line and he looks up as if there's some direct, <laughs> direct thing that Fury is, is like, now trying to say to him but i don't really understand exactly the what he's doing there and why we're getting this reaction shot from from tony because it doesn't right. it doesn't feel like 
I'm having any connection like I did with Steve in the card. Right. Have you lost an eye? Anybody? (laughs) Anybody? (laughs) It's his favorite line. Anytime he needs to kind of get people to relate to him, he's like, I lost this eye. I lost it. It could be any situation. (laughs) He's standing in line to get coffee and someone like stabbed his eye. It could just be like making any kind of scene up. Just, I lost my eye. (laughs) (laughs) That just, that makes every situation, I don't know if it... (laughs) It makes it a little more gross. You know, he's upset at his coffee. I lost my one good eye. Maybe I had right. it coming. Margaritas, yeah, everyone, yeah. but my <laughs> eye. No wonder. Well, no wonder I got the wrong order. I had it coming. <laughs> uh, it's it's a strange reaction from Tony, and I mean, I guess we'll you know we can kind of continue this conversation as this conversation or as their conversation um, kind of moves past this point as as uh, Fury starts kind of coming clean here. He starts talking about yes, we we're going to build an arsenal all that sort of stuff. But I am curious how he is trying to reach Tony. So we'll just have to kind of keep looking at that over the course of this conversation. Um, I don't know if I have anything else for this particular minute to either of you. It's a solemn minute. I think the hardest thing for me to, to get my head around is the fact that Cap didn't immediately go sign Coulson's cards. It's the one thing that I struggle to believe is that he didn't immediately just pull out a pen and just sign him right there and then. But obviously Coulson was playing the, the, the long, long game and just refused to let him sign it because he knew he had to die to bring them together. Yes. Yeah. Would it have lessened the event had they been signed, right? It's Cap like, oh, I already signed these. Why do I need to see them again? Yeah, They're covered yeah, in blood. Yeah, so yeah. what? I I did my part, right? Yeah, he forgot to like uh, put the dot on the eye, so he pulls out the thing again and just dots the <laughs> eye and goes, oh, there we go. There's the mistake, I made. Dots it with the blood, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still fresh. Yeah, yeah, it's so well. classy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, uh, yeah, it is an interesting beat that we have with these cards, for sure. And, I mean, to your point, Pete, it is such a dig for for Fury to come into this situation. Guess he never never did get you to sign them. It's like, wow. Right. <laughs> He's, it, it's funny. Like, we watch, we chart Fury over the course of this movie, and he goes from military leader to fascist to kind of an asshat over the course of about 90 minutes. Why do we like this guy? <laughs> Because it's Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> yeah. You cannot deny the man's charm. You can't deny the man's charm. Very true. Alpha casting. That's right. Now, I have a, I have a really gruesome question regarding these cards. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The dotting the I in blood is not <laughs> yeah. gruesome enough, yeah. Andy. You're right. Right. Are they worth more now that they, <laughs> they, are, they are bloodied by one of the uh, people who works with the Avengers? <laughs> Provenance uncertain. That's what it says on the auction site. <laughs> <laughs> Does the blood affect the foxing around the edges? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. All right. Well, let's uh, let's close up shop for this minute. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 91. So, Lachlan, tell us a little about uh, your podcast and uh, and what you're doing over there on, on, uh, on it, quite on set. Yes, uh, I do the Quiet On Set podcast with my co-host Ewan Graf. Uh, we kind of just do the latest coming out on the uh, the movie scene. We kind of cover a bit of everything. Most recently, we've done something like Bo is Afraid, which is obviously nice and spooky and scary. And then 
I just realized we've also done another spooky and scary one with Evil Dead Rise. So, yeah, uh, we're not just doing horror stuff. We are doing a lot of other things. Uh, obviously, at time of recording this, Guardians 3 is about to drop, and we'll probably be covering that this week. So, everything that you want with movies, we kind of do it. Fantastic. And I think by the time these episodes release, uh, you actually may be uh, in con. Um, doing some reporting from there. So Yes, that is also coming up. We're heading to the, I've got to keep getting this right, because I pronounce it Cannes the way I say it, but it's Cannes, <laughs> and I feel like I'm going to go annoy a lot of French people by going and saying Cannes, Cannes, Cannes. Uh, <laughs> yes, we'll be, heading, we'll be heading to the Cannes Film Festival very shortly, and we'll be covering uh, some of those big releases and small releases as well that I'm very excited for. Oh, that's really fun. That's awesome, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Lachlan, so much. For joining us today. We certainly right. appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, we will be back tomorrow with Lachlan uh, to talk about Minute 91. So, Pete, thanks as always. Oh, Andy, tomorrow will Tony be scolded to action? <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Mm-hmm.